HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, Greenhorns. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers on the Heritage Network, also, also on the on the internet. And uh, today we are happy. We just, well, I am happy because it's been a very wonderful, productive spring. And I've just come from Vermont, and now I'm talking to Mimi, who's in Vermont. Hi, Mimi. Hi, Mimi. I, I mean, hi, <laughs> Severin. How are you? <laughs> Um, I'm great. How are you doing up there? How did that rain hit you? We just got some rain last night, which is much needed. We've had a really dry, windy spring, um, which, of course, is is good for some farms and harder on other farms. And we got a bunch of rain last night, and so um, we're we're in a good place right now. Yeah, it's it's grateful. It was very stormy where we were. It had, like, super high winds and, like, really intense rain. Yeah, but it's, well, it's we need nasty. it. You know, spring typically brings a lot of rain here, and this has been a very dry one. So at this point, I think the state is looking at a drought even. Um, but the soil that we farm on is heavier soil. It has a heavier clay content, and so we tend to stay very wet. So a dry spring is good for us. We're happy about it. Good. So now let's talk about the operation that you are managing now and how you got to the point that you're at and, and why you've decided to stay at that size or um, how what your philosophical uh, size uh, statement is. All right. Uh, Severin, can you hear me okay because you sound very distant? I know. That's problem. That's because of the grassroots radio problem. We just have okay. to talk loud and then listen hard. Okay. Okay. It's um, not Pardon? It's not a changeable thing. Okay, okay. Um, all right, so back in 2003, uh, after apprenticing for a number of years on other organic vegetable farms, um, my husband and I were lucky enough to find out about um, an opportunity to purchase into a land cooperative in Marshfield, Vermont. That's in central Vermont. And we joined two other families to collectively own 185 acres um, some of which was, is very good for growing crops. And so um, while we have a lot of land, actually only about five acres or so are good for vegetable crops. Um, and so that's what we grow, um, organic vegetables, flowers, herbs, and some fruit, um, primarily for 
community-supported agriculture. Uh, we have a CSA farm, and um, we have uh, roughly 150 members that pick up their shares either at the farm or nearby in the uh, state capital of Montpelier. And so we are now in our 10th year of production. So and, you're no uh, longer a beginning farmer. I'm no longer. That's true. That's true. I'm at the tail end of beginner farmer, and I don't know. What is after beginner farmer? Intermediate farmer? <laughs> Yeah, that's where, that's where we're headed. Yeah. So you're. So what else you're can I tell you? Well, well, last time we spoke. Well, last time we spoke was uh, during the roundtable of the. What was it called? The Agrarian Heritage or whatever thing in Vermont. Yes. And you had a whole stick that I really enjoyed about the size that you were at and what that size allowed for you in terms of human engagement with your members and with the actual dirt, right? And I don't know if that if that stick has changed, but um, it seemed like it was well, something to start with. Um, absolutely. Um, I don't know if I have a um, humorous, humorously crafted um, explanation of why I'm at the size that I'm at, but I, I'm happy to explain. Um, so, like I said, I grow on about five acres, and um, and. Uh, you know, so often in small-scale agriculture, um, we talk about sustainability. And sustainability primarily, I believe, um, has people think about environmental sustainability. And, of course, that is critical, and it's at the forefront of what we do, is making sure that we are caring for the earth as best as we can while still producing, you know, commercial-scale um, vegetables. But sustainability also involves um, what is sustainable for the farmers, for the workers on the farm, what's sustainable financially, um, questions that a farmer needs to answer is how much do I need to earn, how much do I want to earn, and to be clear that when thinking about expansion that it is led by your overall mission and your overall values. Um, as we know in our culture in the United States, so often um, we have this assumption that if you get bigger, you make more money, and to get bigger and to make more money is a better thing. Well, this is not true at all, it turns out. And, you know, one has to know when and why you'll be happiest. And I find that having the ability to host all of our CSA pickups and have relationships with apprentices and interns and staff who come to work on the farm, um, making sure that I'm still out there, doing plenty of weeding and certainly lots of harvesting rather than having machines do it or simply having hired hands that do all of that type of work, um, all of that becomes critical and it, it means that I'm going to stay small because small is beautiful and small is, smaller is where I'm happiest and I think really creating a sustainable business and a sustainable farm. And so the scale that you've been at now, that was beautiful. That was very succinct. Okay. <laughs> very... <laughs> um, and so the, the scale that you're at now, that's been a steady state for how long? Yeah, um, I'd say that we've been at a similar scale for the past four or five years and that I've actively made the decision to not try to expand. So that's a big deal. Because yeah, it feels some really of the good. Narrative, some of the narrative, um, at all, you know, a lot of these kind of theory-driven conversations has to do with uh, allowing 
beginning farmers to scale up and to be get, to become quote unquote relevant to food security and you know to start to challenge the um, to start to challenge this assumption that's held in the kind of public consciousness and also somewhat within the USDA that uh, local organic agriculture will never really be a viable alternative or competitive alternative to um, large, larger-scale ag and the kind of corporate ag that we have now, the food system we have now, and that the only way that we would, like, structurally be able to, over, to overcome that would be by having more and more um, farm businesses scale up. Mm-hmm. What would be your response to that kind of question? Well, I don't claim to have any answers at all. Um, I think I think um, it is absolutely true that there are economies of scale that are reached when one has access to more mechanized methods of production, but that there's also a lot lost. Um, I don't see why we can't have a combination of different size farms, um, some of which may have more of a community base and are creating um, stronger relationships with the people that are eating the food that is grown there, and others that might be producing a um, less expensive or more affordable, however you want to phrase that, product that can serve people that may be further away. Um, you know, I think we should have a diversified agriculture in terms of scale as well as, you know, all the other aspects um, when we talk about diversity. Um, I'd say that... Our previous previous conversation talking about the size that I've decided to be is, I'd say, maybe more of um, more of a message for farmers as business owners and farmers as members of communities and farmers as individuals to think about how you want to run your own business and what are the values that are going to guide that. What is your mission? Just to be very clear on what one's mission is when you um, when you run a business, and that my priority is is being part of the community and knowing the people that eat my food and knowing the people that, that are growing the food and that are working with me. Um, whether or not organic, that's, uh, organic farming can, can feed us on a, on a national basis, there are so many assumptions that, um, that are involved in an answer that says, no, this is impossible. I mean, one of which is the assumption that food needs to be cheap. Um, we're used to cheap food, and our economy in many ways is based on it. It's, it's a reality that a lot of people would have a very difficult time um, affording, affording organic prices, which are higher. Um, but that's based on our assumption that food is cheap, and, and that's something that we need to challenge as well. Um, so food is cheap, and unfortunately land is not cheap. So, so many of us, when we're looking you know, beyond apprenticeship and towards family farming and even and even fam- having a family, the issue of the affordability of land um, is a major one. And the solution that you have come to in the increasingly uh, overpriced Vermont landscape is pretty promising. Could you explain, like, the negotiations and most of all the kind of, like, the tone and the, I would say, like, economic and cultural maturity that you had to bring to that process and maybe mm-hmm. give a little guidance to those who might be starting to approach some of those questions? Mm-hmm. Well, I absolutely agree with you. When I um, look at the future of farming and um, when I talk with um, 
the folks who are working for me and with me here on the farm, um, I would say that land access is the most critical piece that, um, that is the most critical challenge um, easily. You know, people can gain experience. They can learn skills, uh, business skills and growing skills and marketing skills and all the different areas in which you need to become um, an expert in in order to run a farm business. But land access remains a big, big challenge. Um, so I'm happy to talk about how, um, how our land co-op um, has helped me in, in that matter, but I also want to point out that when I think about um, solutions to that problem, I know that we have to be really creative about uh, finding new ways to gain access to land so that more food can be grown. Um, numbers of people who have worked for me have gone on to um, farm on their own, and none of them own their own land. They have either... Um, a number of them have created uh, lease agreements with landowners so that they are, they are either renting the land or they are trading in order to use the land. Um, and I, think we're, I hope that we see more and more of that and more and more assistance to help uh, younger or newer farmers um, gain access to land through creative lease agreements. Now, for... Um, uh, on my own part, I am a member of a land cooperative, which is a, a unique situation, and, of course, lots of elements would need to fall into place in order to um, actually go out and create a land co-op. Um, but I'll just say that w when you consider, consider the purchase price of a piece of land, if you were able to split that three ways, you know, say if you had three households, if you were able to split that three ways and yet keep the land intact, in other words, not subdivide it, but keep that land open and active in agriculture with three households contributing financially to the cost of that land and the taxes um, of that land, then suddenly things are looking much more affordable. And, and that's essentially the situation that we have. I farm the, the open land that the co-op owns as um, a separate business. It's not part of the land co-op. Um, but my neighbors who own the land along with me um, are helping to support that land through sharing in the taxes and the purchase of the land. And when you went into that process, um, can you just talk about the psychology of sharing and of, like, negotiating with people around mm. rights and obligations and who does what and who has how much work and... Um, right. I would, you know, I would say that I think, I think it can be extremely complicated, and in some ways it can also be fairly simple. Um, so the psychology of it, absolutely it required trust, and it required, um, it required trust, and I think it required a lot of um, intent and commitment and dedication to um, wanting to see this land farmed. In other words, my neighbors don't farm the land. Um, but they were committed to helping to keep land open and active. And I should say they're not wealthy people by any means. We're, we're all sort of, you know, average, your average person. Um, however, we all cared about keeping the land um, open and active. We are not old friends either. Um, we are actually folks that have come together around this um, interest in the land and critical piece was sitting down with a knowledgeable lawyer, it's true, to come up with an agreement that addressed um, our larger concerns about 
say, finances and decision-making processes, et cetera. And so we have a really strong and yet flexible um, legal agreement that I think enabled us to all feel more secure about what we were diving into together. So what's cool is the next conversation um, on this radio show, show is with Reba, and she is a, a state lawyer who focuses in agriculture and who works a lot in succession planning and lease, writing lease agreements. And so we're going to continue on this topic. Um, hey, Mimi? Yeah? What are your... Um, what is your like? What is your most latest thing that you're um, you're getting all riled up about? Hmm. What's the latest thing I'm getting riled up about? Hmm. <laughs> or here, let me say a different thing. What do you think about this project that Vermont is taking on in addressing uh, farmer protection against GMO contamination? Against? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Um, there's a there's a. Uh, Possibility that the state of Vermont may be sued by Monsanto. Have you heard about this? The, yeah, are you talking about the efforts in Ver the right to know um, efforts in Vermont to have foods labeled with GMO ingredients? Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of this, and, and to me it's a no-brainer that we're asking producers to label their products telling us what is in them. Um, I certainly understand the big business concerns, and their argument is that, well, you know, GMOs don't hurt us, and so there's no reason why we should have to tell anybody that we're using genetically modified ingredients. Um, you know, this is going to be a battle between big business and, and the, the populace's interest um, and in their right to know what is in their food. Um, and that's usually what big battles, often big battles are about. You know, it's about business versus what people want. Um, but, of course, I'm a supporter of this because I think it is simply giving people information in order to make their own choices. I would love to see Vermont um, lead the nation in this effort. I do understand that um, the state of Vermont is concerned about what kind of liability they would face with Monsanto. And so um, most recently there was a stipulation placed in the bill that um, – Vermont wants to wait until other states um, pass this kind of law first. So we'll see if Vermont's going to be a leader or a follower, but either way, um, I can say with a lot of certainty that Vermont is a wonderful place to be a, a small-scale farmer. Um, there's a lot of support here among um, the population, the consumers, as, as well as within the state government itself. And so those of you who are interested in this issue and wanted to learn more, there's a similar ballot, in it. There's a ballot initiative going on right now in California. It's called the Just Label It campaign. Um, and in, in large part, it's been paid for by the organic industry, which is quite strong in California, um, and who stands uh, to benefit, quite rightly, from differentiation in the marketplace between their products um, and this kind of vague, like, natural... Is this like you know natural product um, versus or the organic um, standard, and so they're interested to have uh, labeling, and they have been hugely supportive, um, and have a capacity to be hugely supportive of, you know, essentially getting people out on the streets to sign to make a ballot initiative around a topic of concern. 
that's called justlayblood.org. Uh, let's see, what else is going on in Vermont? Amy? What else is going on in Vermont? Mm, well, you know, as someone who makes my living from the land and we're just so connected to the seasons, this is a, this is a time of year where kind of everything else in your life tends to take a back seat and you dive into, um, into growing. Um, and so that's what we're doing here. We've actually been outside yesterday and today planting in the field and in the greenhouse and um, getting ready for the upcoming sun and warmer weather that's coming our way. Um, oh, I'll just put in a plug. I am still looking for apprentices to uh, be part of our crew this season. So if there are any listeners that are interested in learning about all aspects of small-scale vegetable production, you can check out our website, which is wellspringcsa.com, and we've got information there on um, our apprenticeship positions. And we can put that up on our um, blog as well. That would be super, um, Severin. Yeah, it's amazing. There's been a, a little bit of a micro-flood of people emailing lately, looking, panicking around on ComFood's on ComFood jobs list, on Good Food Jobs, on ATRA, on NOFA New York, on NOFA Vermont, of, you know, somebody was committed and they fell in love with someone in California and can't come, or there's just an extra slot opened up to, you know, to deal with an expansion in animals or whatever the story is. Mm-hmm. Even though we try and set the tone here at Greenhorns of get your apprenticeship organized in January. Yes. Here we are in May, and there are still opportunities to get involved at the, at the very beginner level. Um, okay, so we only have a few more minutes. But, Mimi, what would you give as further guidance in terms of those people who are in that position of just starting this season? They're just like the greenest, greenest little greenhorns. <laughs> the greenest, greenest. You know what I would say? This may not be very sexy, but crunch your numbers. Um, it seems to me so often the difference between a farm that makes it and a farm that doesn't make it is the ability to have some economic, is the ability to have economic skills and to face the facts. You will do yourself such a huge favor if you actually sit down and create a budget. Know what you think things are going to cost. I mean, just take a stab at it, even if you don't know for sure. Take a stab at it. What is it going to cost for you to run your farm? How much produce do you need to sell in order to make a profit? What's the profit that you want to make or need to make in your first year? Be realistic. Don't be afraid of looking at the numbers. You will be so thankful that you took the time um, to treat your business like a business. Sure, it's motivated by wonderful values and dreams, and that's what keeps us going. But it's the numbers that enable us to do it with out getting exhausted, that enable us to continue doing it, and that enable us to become role models for the next generation that's coming up. Well, which you most certainly are, Mimi, and it's such a great pleasure to hear your voice, and thank you for spending some moments of your busy spring on the phone with us and the listeners. Um, for those of you who are, yes, inspired to be serious and do your homework, there is this new cool thing from Land for Good, which is a nonprofit out of New Hampshire, um, that's called a skills assessment, and it helps you to like face the cold hard truth of how much you know, and consider what what tools are still missing and how much you may still need to sharpen your knives um, before starting out uh, as an independent as an independent grower, not to dampen your spirit, but only to um, 
Well, you don't have to dampen your spirit, but in order to sprout, there is some moisture needed. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's a skills assessment toolkit. It's on our blog. Another really strong framework for making these kinds of decisions and planning is the holistic management framework, which Mimi, I think, was kind of inferring in her comments. Mm. What Thank else? you last, so much, Severin. Last resource, last resource to tag for those who are in this position. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the encouraging and inspiring work that you've been doing to um, create more farmers, which is what we need, more farmers farming with more knowledge and more passion and more love. Yippee, skippy. This has been another episode of Greenhorn Radio. Thank you to Mimi from Wellspring CSA. Thank you to you all. Let's see now. I'm supposed to announce upcoming events. This weekend is the Food Book Fair in New York City, and we are promoting the Greenhorn's book, which is a book of 50 essays by young farmers published by Story Press. And it's in, it's in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, which is nice, and there's um, fancy things going on and then less fancy things. It's called the New York Food Book Fair. Next weekend is the Brooklyn Food Conference where you can watch a movie called The Greenhorns. That's Saturday, May 12th. So much is going on. It's really hard to keep track of it all, but uh, good luck trying, and talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.